Hello everyone and welcome back to Inside Art Scroll, where the books you read and the people who write them come to life. Today we are joined by a special guest from Eretz Yisrael, Rabbi David Orlovsky. Thank you, Rabbi David, for being here. It's a real treat. I know you just got here two what, days ago, I What believe. a privilege to be in the Art Scroll uh, uh, studios. This is uh, very exciting. So for the short period I mean, my, of time... I'm here with uh, the greats of the greats. I saw <laughs> on, the, on the wall outside the people who've made the, this show already. So, uh, you know, my gosh, I'm walking among giants. <laughs> well, thank you for that, and thank you for gracing us here. So in the limited amount of time that we have, I have much... That's a Mosahaskel in general for life, so... <laughs> yes, exactly. We want a chaperine. That's right. It's not every day that we get to sit with you and schmooze. <clears throat> so let's start off, which I'm sure you've done many times, giving our viewers a little background about your background, where you come from, what shaped you, who shaped you, and then we'll get into some specific uh, topics. So uh, I come from a little... Sh in Long Island called North Merrick. Most people have never heard of it. Um, people have heard of Merrick. Merrick is an upper class, uh, um, you know, nice neighborhood, very Jewish. North Merrick is a lower middle class <laughs> neighborhood <laughs> with almost no Jews. And uh, uh, I, uh, we, I grew up over there. And uh, I ended up, uh, I mean, we went to a conservative synagogue. Uh, my father worked Shabbos. And, uh, and Ray Fendel started a uh, day school in Long Island called Is the Hebrew Academy. Is that Rav Fendel? His brother. His brother. brother of Mayor Fendel. Okay. So uh, He started a, a day school called the Hebrew Academy of Nassau County. And he convinced my father to send, I'm one of six boys, but uh, the three younger boys, we all went to Hank. And... Uh, you know, I, I came from a home where the, the values weren't quite there that we were learning in school, so I lived two lives. And, uh, and then I had a Rebbe uh, in eighth grade, Rebbe Yaakov Whale, uh, art school book. Um, sure. Uh, he house, put out house the famous... to Eternity. Right, right. About his mother, yeah. And he and, put out a famous Haggadah with answers. Yeah, yeah, right, well. right, right, right. Sure. And he, uh, he just was so aggressive because we were... We were apathetic, you know, Long Island kids, you know, suburban kids, and he shook us up, and I always felt that I had a Midas MS, and I fought with him, and he wiped the floor with me, which I was not used to, because I'm really very good at arguing. <laughs> and, uh, and I remember I said to my friends, I said, we have to fight with this guy. They said, just ignore him. I said, but what if he's right? They said, ignore him anyway, and I couldn't do that. And I had to change my life, and I slowly became a Shomer, uh, Torah mitzvahs by the time my bar mitzvah rolled around um, and uh, I got with the program <clears throat> and so uh, and what was it like doing that when your parents were behind you not with them leading you oh I I had to fight with them constantly constantly luckily I wasn't home the night that my brother burnt down the kitchen because they were sure I was behind it, but I wasn't at home. And because there were cashless problems uh, that I, I was having issues with. And then they, you know, we have it leaving Gomorrah. I mean, we burned the whole place down. I said, you know, once we're rebuilding already, let's put in the, this, let's change that, let's do this. And they cooperated? Yeah, yeah. In other words, you know, my father would argue and then he would give in. And he still felt that I was wrong, but he would give in anyway, because my father grew up in an Orthodox home. He just had no Jewish education, so he mm -hmm. didn't know. It was interesting, you know, 
If I had to label my parents, and labeling is such a difficult thing, I would say they were non-practicing Orthodox Jews. Hashkafically, they were Orthodox, but uh, their their life didn't, you know, he was in the flower business, and the flower business, Saturday's the biggest day, and, you Mm -hmm. know, like I said, he had no Jewish education, you know, so, but he remembered what he remembered, so, you know, uh, so Shabbos, uh, you know, he had to work Shabbos, but if you walked around the house in your socks, he went crazy, you know, what do you want me to die? We couldn't (laughs) figure out what that was. I was, I was a kid, he says to me, you marry a shiksa, you're out of the will. I didn't know what a will was. I didn't know what a shiksa was. But I was like, okay, dad. You know, I was like, you know, because they were very Jewish and they were very proud Jews, you know, and, and, and they felt these things are very chazak. But, uh, but uh, he didn't have that education. When he finally became Shomer Shabbos, uh, uh, 67 years old, uh, it came to him very naturally. He, mm. uh, he, he adopted that lifestyle. So, you know, we had, we had arguments about everything, but, um, you know, Go explain, you know, Sikh and Devashen and Muscovian, you know what I mean? Like, you know, mm-hmm. what difference does it make every time you turn on, you know, the light in the refrigerator goes, every time you turn on the faucet, somewhere a pump is going on, something's happening, you know? So I tried to explain these things as best I could. In the end, he, he, uh, he would give in, but, uh, you know, it, it was, uh, it, it prepared me for later in life because it, when I started Yeshiva Gedola and I ended up going to Chavetz Chaim, you know, I knew hashkafically so much more than any other person my age because I had to argue everything through, wow. you know, and uh, it gave me a, a tremendous background in hashkafa that most people don't get. But it's unbelievable that as a child you had that fortitude when today so many children who are being given Yiddishkeit on a silver platter are struggling with it, and here you were in the opposite environment fighting for what's right. So that's one of the reasons <clears throat> that so many people don't appreciate it, because they never had to fight for it. Mm-hmm. You know, if you have to fight for something, it's that much more valuable to you. And so <clears throat> that's why Torah is a melchama. It's a melchama Torah. You have to fight for it. You have to, you know, the Chazal say that unless you learn something wrong, you'll never learn it right. Mm-hmm. You, have to, you have to struggle to find the MS. And, you know... <laughs> I was a rabbi in YouTube for many years, and this is the de facto position of the average kid in Shia today. <laughs> Go ahead, Rebbe. Tell me anything you think might interest me. <laughs> Rebbe right, Fendel told me he used to go to a Shia by Rav Hutna, and he says it was in a small room, and it was crowded. It was hard to hear him, and he said to one of the organizers, why don't we move this to the auditorium, give him a microphone. And he said, because Rav Hutna holds Vishita, you have to struggle to hear, to listen, and to understand. It's mm. not, this is not a, this is not a entertainment. Rav Moshe Shapiro fought for many years before he agreed to, to take a microphone in Shir, mm-hmm. you know, because he wanted you to, you know, to give a daher. Like they say in Musa, noch daher, you have to listen. So uh, I used to remember, you know, Rip Svi Kushalevsky and Shir would say this all the time. He goes, I know man's Odebam. Avotazin tov tov. Listen, you have to listen. Mm-hmm. And that's, a, that's a, a hard thing for a generation that's used to having everything given to them, like you say, on a silver platter, and you have to struggle. Mm-hmm. It's the struggle that makes it meaningful. Lefum tsara agra, you know, going to the efforts to reward. After you left, you went to Yeshiva Chavetz Chaim, right. where you learned by Reb Henech? I, I, uh, I was actually in a number of branches. I was oh. in Erzstrel with okay. Rabbi Chait and Rabbi Kanarek. Mm-hmm. 
I was in uh, I was in uh, Forest Hills with Rav Hanuch. I was in Rochester with Rav David Harris, who now oh, well. is the Rosh Hashiva. He was Rosh Hashiva in Rochester. So uh, and eventually I made my way to Los Angeles. With Shia Cohen was the Rosh Hashiva, mm -hmm. and I did some teaching and I did some learning, and and that's when I stumbled into NCSY, and uh, by really by accident, and I was tricked into taking my first NCSY chapter, and it turned out that I had a real hush for this particular line of work. And uh, I started being offered regions all over the country, and I took Long Island, um, which had had five directors in two years, and it was deader than dead. And uh, there was actually one member, one paid member in the region when I took over. And uh, I built that up, and I found I had a real talent in, uh, in Kirov and informal education. And uh, I was there for nine years. And then I moved to Herzl to sit and learn. My original plan was I would sit and learn and then go into Rabbonus. And uh, instead, I stayed in Herzl and I found chinuch opportunities there. So you were teaching in Herzl? Yeah. In I seminaries? Was, I had seminaries and yeshivas. yeshivas. I was mashkiach in yeshiva or David. Um, I taught in, uh, in Derech program in Or Sameach. Uh, I used to teach in, in Asia Torah. Um, and I also taught in seminaries and, and uh, you know. I, I really had a, a very varied aspect where, you know, I used to I used to teach in Olgola. I was training Rabbonim, um, you know, and I went from there to, you know, Nevei Yerushalayim, where I was teaching girls who who were just really newcomers to Judaism and basically everything in between. So uh, it, it's uh, I, I found, which was very interesting, <clears throat> I had a real um, ability as a Gemara teacher. And mm -hmm. uh, that's a very hard thing to do, to keep kids interested in the Gemara. I had one kid who said to me, he came back Shana Bet on condition that he didn't have to learn Gemara. And uh, the Roshiva convinced him to come to my shir. And he said, if I had a Rebbe like this, I would have, I would have learned Gemara my whole life. You know? So yeah. to make the Gemara come alive, I once spoke for the, uh, for the Koilo and Elizabeth, they have a Yomi Yun on national holiday, so I think I spoke there on Thanksgiving. And uh, so I said, what do you want me to talk about? <laughs> he says, talk about Gemara, Rashi, Toysvitz, Rambam, you know, you, you say Yeshira. I was like, okay, I have never been asked to do that on the speaker's circuit. Mm -hmm. and, uh, <clears throat> and he called me up afterwards, he says, I'm getting a lot of pressure. They said, you don't bring Olavsky in to give a Gemara Yeshira, so do... You know, uh, do an hour of the Gemara, uh, do, do 45 minutes of Gemara, and 15 minutes of whatever your usual shtick is. You know? <laughs> so I did. He says, I made a mistake. People enjoyed the Gemara Shir so much, you could have gone on for that for, for, for the full hour. Oh. So, uh, so I enjoyed very much teaching, uh, teaching boys, uh, teaching Gemara. I do an online dafyomi uh, uh, today um, through, my, uh, through my website. And... Uh, you know, to to make the daf come alive and be exciting and be interesting and be relevant and meaningful, that's that's a challenge. Mm -hmm. And I, I take it very seriously. Uh, so, yeah, so I teach boys, I teach girls, I, I give two online Masils Husharm Shurim. You know, it's uh, it's a challenge. You have to you have to make Torah alive for our kids. And that's that's the biggest challenge is that kids. <clears throat> A kid says this. Everybody has heard this from a kid. Rebbe, why are we learning this? 
I don't have an ox. I'm not planning on buying one. I don't run through the street with pictures. You know, uh, if I if I marry a woman, it'll be with a, a ring, not with a piece of silk of indeterminate value. If I divorce her, it'll be in based, and I won't throw the get from my roof into her chotzer, where it catches on fire on the way down. You know, and that's the biggest challenge. Why am I learning relevance? People want to feel that this has meaning to my life. And I always say that, that's, you find this a few times in the Gemara. What is, is, who cares? Mada hava hava. Daf Yomi, they're doing Yuma now. It says mm-hmm. it over there. It's a Gemara in Ksubis. Mada hava hava. We're not learning history. If we're learning a Pasik or a Rashi, or a Gemara, or a Halacha, it's because it has to have relevance to my life today. Mm-hmm. It has to have meaning for me today. Otherwise, we wouldn't be learning it. And what is, what is a, one of the biggest differences that you've seen in the questions being posed to you in Kiruv Rechokim versus Kiruv Kroivim? Mm. Uh, Kiruv Rechokim, people want to know why. And um, in Kiruv Kroivim, they know why. They're saying, it's not working for me. Mm. I'm not happy. I'm not enjoying this. Shabbos doesn't make me happy. Learning doesn't make me happy. Torah doesn't make me happy. You know what I'm saying? I'm not enjoying this. <clears throat> One of the, the greatest uh, uh, fulfillments I've gotten over the years is that when a parent tells me, he goes, I have a kid not interested in anything, but he listens to your recordings. He listens mm-hmm. to your shiram. He says, it's just more entertaining than, than the Goyesha comics. I was in scholar residence once in a, in a Pesach hotel, and uh, the seminary girls who took care of the day camp, they said, listen, we miss all your shiram. Could you do something for us at night when, when we finish? I said, sure. So I, I was giving a shrimp for was and a bunch of the guests were coming. So the director said, listen, this is not part of our agreement. I said, I'm not going to charge you for this. I actually like teaching. He goes, good, then I'll put it in the bulletin. Mm-hmm. And I was getting more people coming to my share than were going to the entertainment wow. program, the show. And one of them said, he says, it's pretty sad when the rabbi is more entertaining, <laughs> you know, giving a Perkyeva share than the, the entertainer, you know, because... <laughs> You have to figure out how does Torah speak to me, make it enjoyable, you know? It has to be something that's sweet to our kids. And that's what it is. I heard Rabbi Shapiro say this once. He says, I understand why a kid wants to go off. If you're going to take away the pleasures in my life, you better show me you got something better for me than what mm-hmm. I've got. And, uh, and that's, you know, I have, I have this podcast that I give. And I talk about different things, and I've gotten letters from guys who feel like they were not uh, able to sit and learn. They didn't enjoy it. It wasn't meaningful. He goes, the only Torah learning I have in my week is your podcast. I watch this because it's enjoyable, because it makes me feel good. That's what Torah has to be. It has to be that Shabbos is something beautiful, that, that, uh, you know, I heard one of my kids tell another one of my kids, you know, it says, uh, I love Hanukkah in our home. You know, Hanukkah, uh, the Pesach Seder, you know, uh, Shabbos, it's got to be something where a person says, wow, I'm enjoying this. I like this. It's fun. And uh, that's the challenge. Well, people know that you are, infuse humor into yeah. everything you do. I try. And, and that brings try. out the joy. And that brings out the joy. And perhaps that's why in the hotel program or wherever it is, people want to go to hear Rabbi Yerlovsky because they know that they're going to smile, they know they're going to feel good, and they know that they're getting the substance at the same time. I had somebody once who, who was re-listening to some of my show and they go, you know, you say a lot of deep things. 
I said, what are you trying to do, kill my Parnassah? Just say he's funny. <laughs> I know what I'm saying. You know, somebody said to me once, he goes, you realize he's saying very stark of Musa? How does he get away with this? He goes, he's funny. If you're funny, you can say anything you want. <laughs> but what you were talking about before segues well to something I wanted to ask you, and this goes back to a sheer that I listened to from you about 20 years ago. And you made a very, very poignant observation that if you would take the average Jewish child and give them the opportunity to press a button and be born into a different family, a non-Jewish family, without all the obligations, without all the, the commandments, and without all the many things that he may not understand, many a Jewish child will choose to press that button. And you analyzed it. Can you take a moment and apply it now, 20 years after I first heard you mention it, as to why that is, and what could we be doing better to make sure that no Jewish child will ever want to push that button? So I just have to tell you a story that a Rebbe in a Masifta, you know, very from Masifta, and I don't want to mention where or, or, or what, but he says, he says, I tried this myself. I asked my, my boys in Masifta. And they all said, yeah, sure, I'd push the button. <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah, I would choose not to be Jewish, you know. It's, it's, uh, it's an amazing thing. It's an amazing thing. And, uh, and I... I, uh, I've seen this myself over the years. Uh, it's, 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 only, it's only become stronger. Um, the reason is, I think, because unfortunately so much of Chinuch comes down to um, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is angry and disappointed with you. And, uh, and people internalize that message. So I've asked audiences over the years, do you think Hashem loves you? So at the beginning, people couldn't answer, but now the Kirov movement has been around long enough, so we know the correct answer. Yes, Hashem loves me. And then I say, does Hashem like you? Very hard question for a firm Jew to answer. And then I say, is Hashem impressed with you? And almost no firm person can say yes. Because we've been taught, Hashem is disappointed in you. Hashem will wait for you to the last day mm -hmm. to see if you do tshuva. But if not, then he will cast you into the pit of Gehenna, where you will, you know, burn for, you know, terrible, painful experience because he loves you and wants you to have a tikkun. You know? So a person, as one person put it to me, I feel like I'm walking a grease tightrope over hell. I'm always going to be, Hashem's always going to be angry with me. We're always going to be disappointed with me. You know, I, I tell you, you ever hear the traveling Hasidim? Mm -hmm. So I spoke once at a, a Project Inspired convention, and one of them came over and said, you know, we're your Hasidim, because you're the only person still teaching real Hasidus. Mm -hmm. I, said, I said, what? You know, because I'm, I'm a real Dardenwall Litvak, you know? Mm -hmm. He says, no, no, no. The idea of Hashem loving you and, and, and the Simcha and this and that, that Hasidus was based on, he says, you don't find that today. He says, this is the message people have to hear. Hashem loves you. Hashem believes in you. Hashem is rooting for you. Hashem is impressed with you. He thinks, listen, after 2,000 years of all the suffering that we've gone through, the fact that a person is willing to stand up today and say, I'm a firm Jew, <clears throat> and all the abuse you get today, you know, and, and, and how many people hate us, and all the difficulty and stuff like and, and, and the pressure you know, of, of all the mitzvahs that have to be done and the expectations 
The fact that a person is willing to stand up and be counted, how invaluable that is in the eyes of a Kaddish Baruch Hu, but we don't hear that. We don't tell that to our kids. But I think some nowadays may have taken the Hashem loves me mantra all the way to the other end, where it's Hashem loves me, and He's going to love me, and I could do what I want to do, or act the way I want to, and there's almost that lack of the scharva einish balance. Yeah. So that there does have to be some kind of balance. As a Talmud of Moshe Shapiro, as someone who has <laughs> heard so much from one of the greatest Palimachshava of our generation. Yeah, I really don't had, find that. <laughs> In fact, if you find the kids who go off, they're sure Hashem hates them. Mm-hmm. Hashem hates me, my parents hate me, society hates me, my rabbim hate me, everybody's disappointed in me. You know? And, and if you start talking to them, they're like, okay, fine, I'm a Russia, okay? You happy? Okay, I'm a Russia. You don't hear them saying like, you know, hey, everything's great, everything's fine, I can do what I want, Hashem loves me. You know what I mean? They, they really feel that they, they're playing a game they can't win. Mm. So why bother playing? You know, they just, they've given up. Listen, when I, was a, when I was a kid, and I'm going back some years, um, people went off the derech. You know what they did? They went to college, they got a job, they, they, uh, they got married, they had children, and they didn't keep Shabbos. Today, when a kid goes off the derech, they dress like a laundry pile, they, they can't get out a coherent sense. Yeah, you know, my rabbi, you know. They smoke like a chimney or they do drugs. or they just, There's nothing. They become chaymabli mm. tzura because I know what MS is and I can't do it. So I just give up. It's not that I don't believe. They believe very strongly, but I can't, I'm playing a game I can't win. Is one worse than the other where someone's more intellectually adversarial versus just... You know, because doing whatever when, they want. Because when a kid goes off today, and you see he just becomes nothing, just becomes right. nothing. Yeah, it's because he believes that no one believes in him. He believes that Hashem is out to get him. He believes that he's going to burn in Gehenna, and there's no, there's no hope and there's no choice. And, and I hate to say it, this didn't come from the vacuum. They've heard this from people, you know. Uh, David Kaplan uh, used to write a column in the Hamudia called Anecdotes and Anecdotes. And uh, in the anecdotes, you hear these stories of, of teachers who, who, you know, I, I guess in their mind they really meant well, but, you know, they, they hurt kids terribly. Mm-hmm. And, and when a person feels that love, and HaKadosh Baruch Hu loves you, and Hashem believes in you, and you, of course, you're going to mess up. My wife, who's much smarter than I am, she's the intellectual of the family, you know? so uh, she always says, high schools only want kids who don't need high school. It used to be understood that high school was, you know, a time where you're going to grow and you're going to this and you're going to, you know, mess up a little bit, you know. And today, you know, everyone says, we take only the best kids. The best kids. You know, Abelazah Langzim, who's a very, very smart person, you know, tremendous time of Chacham. You know, he said to me once, he goes, what is the best eighth grader? <laughs> like, isn't that your job? Because it doesn't say much about you as a mechanic if you can only educate the best kids, you know? Don't you know how to take somebody and develop them and build them? You, you, you're incapable of that? So we have to calm down a little bit, give people a little space, understand that kids are kids. And, you know, we have to reassure them and we have to teach them to, to, to have self-respect. In the old times, you know, Rav Hutner said this already back in the 60s. He says, all the schmoozing in Europe about gaiva, that's not for America. Because 
they didn't have a fancy word like self-esteem. You know, he says, he says they have to learn self-worth. They don't think they're worth anything. They don't think that they, what they do matters. That it makes a difference. I had a girl, second year in seminary, she said to me, we get these lists of people who are sick to say to heal them for, you know. I daven. Sometimes they get better, sometimes they die. But it has nothing to do with me. Does the average from person really believe I say it's fila and that person's going to get healthy? That person's going to have a child? That person's going to get a paranasa? That person's going to find a shidduch? We don't believe that because we're, we're not worth anything. Go find a God will be Israel to daven. But me? I'm going to daven for somebody? I'm going to change the world and change somebody's life? I believe it. I believe it. And for the record, I am not a God of Israel. But I, am sh I believe that I can daven and say I'm going to change someone's life, and I'm going to bring Mashiach. If it's, not, if, it's, if it's not us, who? What percentage of Kalei Yisrael is still left around, you know, to be able to, to change the world? That means it's our davening. So you know why people don't daven? Kodesh eh, Baruch, who cares what I say? It makes a difference what I say? That's why people speak Lashon Hara, because you think it makes a difference what I say? Nobody cares. Nobody cares what they do, what they say, what they do, you know. Everyone's walking scared. Everybody's afraid, you know. Uh, I, I started yeshiva, okay, giveaway. I started yeshiva in 1964. And we got a message. You're a hero because you are keeping Torah alive. I mean, at that point, every shul that was opening was a conservative synagogue. Mm -hmm. You know, Torah was dead, you know. Pesach Kron says this all the time. I, I used to say it my own, but, but, he, uh, but he said it. I'd rather quote him. Yeah, he says, the change took place in... 1976, when the art scroll Megillus Esther came out. Because until then, my generation, we only had Sansino. You could read pages and I come across a Jew. Forget about, <laughs> forget about a Torah personality. You know, it was all Christian Bible scholars, you know. And suddenly art scroll came out and it was okay to be from. But when I started school in 1964, if you were an Orthodox Jew, you were, you were a, an object of derision. Mm -hmm. And so we came in and we were, it didn't matter if you were good or bad. They used to say, we can't afford to throw a kid out. We don't have enough of them. Right. Today, every kid gets a message. We don't need you here. I got two, three kids waiting to take your place. You don't like it, get out. You know? Mm -hmm. And so a kid feels like, I'm not needed. The school doesn't need me. My rebellion don't need me. My, uh, you know, everybody's running scared. Everyone's disappointed in me. Hashem is angry with me. You know? And then you wonder why there's a lack of of happiness, whereas the Masil Susharim says, why are we in this world? To get pleasure from the delight in Hashem. Is that message coming across to our kids? When I say that over, it's, it's, it's the, the, the shir that you're quoting, it's from, it's from a line from a shir called Why Be Jewish. It's always my go-to shir. The first thing that I hear from parents, from parents, is two things. One is, if this is true, why are you the only one saying it? I said, it's not true. And I show you shiurim from across the board, people who say this. And the second question is, why is no one teaching this to our children? And that's a hard question to answer. Why isn't that the message that kids get? HaKadosh Baruch Hu loves you. The greatest thing is to be close to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. You know, if I walk in and I think that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is angry at me and disappointed in me and, and isn't happy with me, do I want to daven? Do I want to learn? Do I want to be part of a system where I know I'm failing before I even start? But if you say Hashem loves you, Hashem believes in you, Hashem is rooting for you, and, and Hashem created the whole world just because He wants to be close to you, that's, that's a paradigm shift. 
there are many people out there who need to hear this message. A hundred thousand that, that you're giving. One yeah. way that they could get the message is actually in this book, which came out <laughs> two years ago. I should mention it's, it's a transcription of many of, of your share. lectures yeah. uh, that was very well done. Tell our viewers what other ways, if someone wants to tap into the joy of Yiddishkeit, of Rabbi Orlovsky. <laughs> Where could they go? What could they do? How could they tap into it? So I have a podcast every week. It comes out on, it's on Torah Anytime. And uh, there are other places you can listen to it if you know anything about technology, which I don't. But I know it is over there. <laughs> and uh, and this is the, I used, I used to give a share every other um, Motsi Shabbos and Harnof. And I used to ask people who came a lot, well, why do you come? And one answer I got was, this is the only place I come where I walk out feeling good that I'm a firm Jew. Now, that, that's sad, not because the message I'm giving. Yeah, um, my friend Rabbi Yitzchak Summers, who's a, a rev in Los Angeles, he, he says that he told this once um, to Rabbi Cheskel Sarna's son uh, in, in Yerushalayim. And he says, what do you mean? This is, this is basic Judaism. What I'm saying is basic Judaism. Of course it's the Mesil Shashem. Of course it's everything. His father wrote a unim on, on Mesil Shashem, Rabbi Cheskel Sarna. He says, of course, everybody, everybody knows this. But in the last door, you didn't have to say this because everyone knew it. But when they came to America, people didn't have the background that they had. So we spent our time focusing on mitzvah observance, mm -hmm. right? So I always give the example, right? We give out the color-coded charts for the matzah. And everyone's careful to get the matzah and measure out the matzah and eat it. Remember with the hasebah and all the things. And then I ask someone, why do we eat matzah? Because the Jews left Egypt so quickly their bread didn't have a chance to rise. I said, so let it rise now. Right? If you make challah dough and it doesn't rise in 18 minutes, just wait. It might take 45 minutes, it'll rise. And then we can eat challahs. I said, that's not even the part that bothers me. You know, I said, I said everybody's running around. We can't leave Egypt. The, the mitzvah have been screaming at us since midnight. Get out, get out. Right? We're collecting gold and silver. We're running around. We're, we're, we're cutting down trees. We're, we're doing everything. And suddenly comes noontime. Gans Klaesville decides what a great time to bake bread. And then we got rushed out of Egypt because who could have seen that coming? <laughs> <laughs> and everyone says to me, yeah. I said, you spend so much time on the performance of the mitzvah that you don't know why? You don't have to think why? And, th and that's unfortunately the thing is that we... You know, it's the opposite. You know, I, I, I was asked once to speak in a Yaakov, you know, about questions, you know, how to, how to answer basic questions. I used to teach this to Rabbanim in, in Olegola, and, uh, and someone in the school said, we don't want the kids uh, to ask questions. Uh, it'll just, it'll, it'll lessen their amuna. Mm -hmm. So don't ask any questions, you know. Uh, somebody said to me, oh, this boy has hashkafa problems. Uh, he, he doesn't know if he believes in Hashem. He doesn't know if he believes in Harsinai. I said, I said, uh, that's not Hashka for problems. I said, uh, he has other problems, right? He gets up late. He, he's not successful in his learning, you know? So he asks questions, you know? I said, tell me the guy is, is davening, he's learning, and you find him in the base majors 3 o'clock in the morning reading Spinoza. <laughs> that's, a, that's a Hashka for problem. It's not a Hashka for problem. He says, we know that, you know, all you have to do is say, I don't believe in this. And he goes, whoa, you know? But it's not real. It's not coming from a real place. And, and, and if you... If you if you confront the issues, the issues are not really the issues. The issues are, how come I'm not happy? How come I'm not feeling a simcha in, in my yadus? And, and that's, that's an art form for us to be able to give our kids a Shabbos. People ask me, how do you make your kids sit at the Shabbos table? I said, I don't. 
My goal is to make the Shabbos table such a warm, welcoming place that people want to sit there. You know, and our Shabbos meals go on for a very long time. Yeah, well, part, part of the problem is that we eat too much, but, uh, <laughs> but also because you want to make it interesting and entertaining enough. And I look at it from a kid's point of view. So I had a tikufa when my kids were teenagers, and they, they weren't such happy campers, you know. And so I would ask questions, thought questions. Yeah, I, I would d tie it into something in the parsha, and then I would say, do you think you should bring your kids up in an only firm neighborhood without exposed to anything? Or in a mixed neighborhood where they'll meet different types of people? And they would argue, because teenagers mm -hmm. love to give their opinions. And they would argue. And whenever I would do this, people would say to me afterwards, and what did you tell them? I said, nothing. That's the point. <laughs> I want them to be able to sit there and talk. Just talk and talk and talk and talk. And they'll sit at the Shabbos table and give their opinions. Kabaldic, you know? I have to say, and here's the right answer. That's the whole problem. You know, teachers say, what do you think? Okay, we don't really care what you think. Here's the right answer. <laughs> let people think. Let people talk. It's love it. So they would sit at the Shabbos table and give their opinions, you know. Givaldic. The older I get. As you say, everyone's entitled to my Entitled opinion. to my <laughs> Let people talk. And, and that's why <clears throat> the older I get... I have mastered the skill of keeping my mouth shut. I haven't mastered it, but I've gotten a lot better at it. <laughs> Letting people talk. You know, people love to hear themselves talk, and uh, I encourage it. Well, thank you for the messages of positivity. Are we out of time? I think so. I think oh they're, they're signaling to us. I, mean, I could see So we have to wrap this I up. Talk I thought to you we were just days. getting started. <laughs> we were just getting started, but apparently. Time is short, oh, yeah, and yeah. you have to go, but we uh, really yeah. appreciate... I, I want to thank you. Amaruba. Amaruba. And there's Molacha Maruba in Chinuch. There's no question about it. It's a daunting task nowadays, and you've infused all of us, parents, mechanchim, with hope. Hope that we could infuse that joy. Happiness. That Simcha Sachayim, Simcha happy. being a Yid. And yeah. not being scared of questions. Oh, and, and like you just said, not always do you have to give the answers. No. The, very that's very the, often the answers will come out by themselves. We go to the Seder and we do things to get people to ask questions. We want them to ask questions. If they, if they ask questions, they care. The, the, the bane of Jewish education is, is apathy. Right. Yeah, where they feel this is not relevant to my life. If they're asking questions, it's givaldic. We encourage that. Well, thank you for that. Thank you for the encouragement. My May pleasure. you be to continue to infuse that chizuk in Yidin, both in Eretz Yisrael, where you live in Harnof, and oh, when we're zeicha, us still here in Chutzlar, it's to have you in our presence. Thank you. Thank you so Continued much. Continued Hatzlacha. My pleasure. And uh, listen, it's, it's, like I said, I, I'm quoting Pesach Kron saying it, but I was saying it beforehand, you know. You have changed the, the face of, of Torah in America. Thank you. And with the high school Gemaras, I mean, in Eretz Yisrael too, you know. It's like, it's just, it's just, it's just impossible, you know. Well, that, that's credit to our incredible team here, from Rabbi Zlatowicz, you know, Rabbi Sherman, Rabbi Brand, I was, down. I was so, in a, uh, I was in a, uh, you know, Davyomi Chabura, you know, before I started giving the share, you know, and they had, they had the uh, art school, um, uh, you Shalmi, Shkalim, and it would be like, you're turning and you're turning. And you're turning, and you're turning, and you're turning. It's Ahmed Bey's. And they're turning, <laughs> and they're turning. <laughs> so it's a Herculean task, and the one that I definitely appreciate. Thank you so much.